Church. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor. If you're a guest this morning, we are so glad to see you. I love Christmas, and I love Christmas largely because of this church, this family. You all truly are family to me, and it's great to have another Christmas together. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and tell me what you want for Christmas. What you want? Come on. There's, you know, what, 12, 12 shopping hours left. Uh, what do you want for Christmas? Somebody tell me. What's wrong with you people? What'd you say? You want a drone? Oh, I didn't even think to ask for a drone. I want a drone. That's cool. I hope Santa Claus comes through with a drone this year. Uh, Yeah, what else? What else do you want? Somebody said Star Wars? Yeah, like what from Star Wars? To go to the movie or like Star Wars stuff? Yeah, anybody seen the movie yet? Yeah, y'all, James and Linda Hunter left at one hour into it because I didn't like it. What? Yeah, I agree. I agree. How? 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 Yeah, they didn't like Star Wars. Uh, anyway, what do you want for Christmas? More time? Yeah, slow it down. Yeah. Come on, keep going. What are you getting for Christmas? What do you want? New car. New car? <laughs> yeah. I think I know Santa Claus well enough to know, yeah. How about, some, how about some socks, mama? Uh, <laughs> keep your feet warm while you walk without the new car. <laughs> Somebody else, what do you want for Christmas? What'd you say? A piano? Really? Like a full-size whole piano, a real piano? Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, what do you think? Are they, have you been pretty good? Yeah, okay, let us know. Let us know. Somebody else, what do, want, what do you want for Christmas? It's always an easy question when you were younger, don't you think? Now, what did you want when you were younger? Everything. Toys, everything? Yeah, y'all, one year, I did not get this, and I'm still a little bitter towards Santa. Uh, I wanted a ventriloquist doll so bad. And, and had I gotten that, y'all, I could be a ventriloquist today. This whole sermon would be different, y'all. It would be, it'd be, be two dummies talking if I'd have had a... Had a ventriloquist dummy. What's that? I, uh, I, I think it's harder the older you get because the older you get, the more you realize that the things you want most are never, ever going to be wrapped up and found under the tree. That's just the truth. I'm 52. And now, uh, honestly, there's just not really much at all I want under the tree, but there's still a lot that I want. I've just learned to recognize the the things that are most valuable aren't going to get wrapped up or bought or, or traded like that. It's, it, it's different. The hardest part for many of us is that, honestly, we just don't know what we want. We've lost track of what it is that we need most and what we want. And, and it's important because if you don't know what it is that you want, you will never recognize it when you get it. Which brings us to Luke chapter 2. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Tonight's the Christmas Eve, the official Christmas Eve service, so I won't be doing Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus this morning. I want to jump forward a little bit. This is still the Christmas story, but it's not a part of the Christmas story that, that we preach or that ever makes a Christmas special on television. This is eight days later, 
Eight days after Bethlehem, eight, eight days after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary have certain traditions of the law that they must fulfill as good Jewish parents. Jesus must be circumcised. He's officially given his name and his circumcision and his place as the son of the covenant on, on the eighth day when Joseph and Mary would have taken him to the temple. And at the temple, uh, what happens is not exactly what they could have ever expected. They meet two people And I want us to look at those two people this morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. Let's start there. Luke 2, 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let me stop right there. The law actually requires a lamb unless you can't afford a lamb, in which case you're allowed to give the offering of two doves, uh, either two doves or two pigeons. So what's that tell us about Joseph and Mary right there? I think it's interesting, just kind of human. What's it mean? Yeah, they're poor. Joseph and Mary could not afford the, the typical offering that other folks would bring, so they bring two doves, two pigeons. I just think that's sort of beautiful. Verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple, so when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. I'm going to stop there. We don't know exactly how old Anna is. It's kind of ambiguous in the text. My translation says that she lived as as a widow to the age of 84, but we don't know if she was age 84 or she'd been a widow for 84 years. So bottom line is this lady could be over 100 years old, y'all, and this is where it gets awesome. She lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Back up. 
Simeon, righteous and devout, eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come. That's what it says. I had a buddy in college. I don't know how old he was. I don't know how old he was then. I don't know how old he is now. I still see him, um, Mitchell. In college, Mitchell was a, a, a dynamic Christian man. He was probably also, I mean, seriously, I think he's mentally deficient in some way. I don't understand exactly how his mind works. But he's, he's got some struggles. He's, he's, he's not uh, always all there. But he's still a, a great man, loves the Lord with his whole heart. Mitchell's the kind of guy that is so spiritual that like he can't have a conversation that's not spiritual. So when you say, hey, Mitchell, what's up? He'll say, Jesus. And, and you're just like, I mean, I mean, what do you say? You know, because I was going to say, you know, the weather. Um, but he's Jesus. Uh, he's just that guy, full of joy, uh, full of the Lord. Um, I, I still see him around Bowling Green. It's been years. I've been out of Western for, you know, a thousand years. So we're both older. Uh, he's still the same. He found a way, I think, to work at Western. So he's been at Western for all of these years. He's still the same. He still loves the Lord with his whole heart. Um, but he lost his mama. And for Mitchell, his mother, other than Jesus, was all he had. He just loved his mother. She's the only real person he had in the whole world. And without her, he was just devastated. So Mitchell came to the office here, actually, to talk to me one day about, about his mom. And he just cried and cried. And, and honestly, never seen him cry. He's just always been so full of joy. But um, as Mitchell was talking about his mom, it's funny because his faith is so strong that, that as he started talking about his mother... Uh, he began to comfort himself with the gospel. I really wasn't saying much at all. He just started talking about how he knows that his mother knew the Lord, that she loved the Lord, and he knows that she's with Jesus now. And it's interesting and beautiful how his tears just sort of dried. He began to talk about he knew that his mother was with the Lord, and, and he began to cheer up. So honestly, I, I kind of went with that. I mean, he was feeling better, and, and it's the gospel that comforted him. So I just said, yeah, you know, Mitchell, you're right. You're, your mom's with Jesus. And, and you know, the best part of that is one day you and I will die, and then we'll all be with Jesus together. And he said, no. He said, no. He said, I'm not going to die. I'm like, what? And Mitchell, you know, I was in college with you. Neither one of us is getting any younger. We're both going to die, and then we'll die. And he said, no, no. He said, the Lord has told me that I will not die, but I'm going to be alive when Jesus comes back. Now, I don't really know what makes Mitchell think that, but I can't argue with it either. And so that particular day, I just let that go. You know, Mitchell fully believes that he will be alive when Jesus comes back. And there was no use arguing because you can't talk to somebody like Mitchell. You can't talk to somebody who believes like that in the same way that you couldn't have talked to Simeon. Because notice what it says. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So Simeon had a promise from the Lord. And Simeon was a man that if he had a promise, he had a reason to live. And it is his only reason to live. Simeon's an old man, but you can get to the end of his life, as you notice here, and you can sum up everything about him with just a few words. And the words are, he was eagerly waiting to see Jesus. That's it. Whatever else he did in his life, and we know he did other things. He must have had a job. He probably had a family. He lived a full life. But still, the only thing that matters about Simeon, the only thing you need to know, the only thing he would want you to know, 
He was eagerly waiting to see the Christ. The Lord had shown him he would not die until he had seen the Christ, and he was living for that. Now, can you even wrap your head around that? Can you imagine anybody with faith that strong? A man whose sole reason for living is the hope of seeing Jesus with his own eyes. That's what he believed. And nobody could talk him out of it. It's amazing. It's simply amazing. So the scripture says that Simeon, on this particular day, and again, he's lived his whole life with this promise, lived his whole life with this hope, and now he's old, and, and I don't know how long he, he's had the promise, I don't know how long he's had this expectation, but he still has it, as fresh as the day that the Lord's shown him this. I mean, he's never given up on this hope, N- never, N- not, not once. Now, remember that we call it the 400 years of silence. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's something like 400 years where there's no prophet. There's no word from the Lord. For 400 years, there's just silence as the people of God cling to the promise and wait for the coming of the Messiah, wait for the coming of Jesus. They wait for something like 400 years. So understand, 400 years have gone by, and Simeon's probably lived nearly a quarter of those years, 100 years, and nothing He has a promise, but no sign, no nothing. Nobody's counting down the days to Christmas. Do you understand? Nobody's expecting like Simeon's expecting. And yet he has not weakened. He has not wavered. He still clings to this promise. So the scripture says, the Lord had revealed him that he would not die. So in verse 27, that day the spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. I love that. And get that now. Simeon was there. Why was he there? Because the Spirit led him there to the temple on that day. Now, understand, Simeon probably had other places to be. He doesn't live at the temple. He comes and goes. But on this day, the Spirit said, Simeon, go to the temple. Go. Just stop there. I know that in the Bible, you're used to Bible characters acting like that. But but do you not understand? This is how the life of faith works. This is how you and I are supposed to be. So so willing to listen to the Lord. So willing to obey that at any given moment, at any given time, the Spirit could speak. We'd hear that and we'd go. We'd obey. Because this is the way Simeon lived. And because this is the way Simeon lived, because he obeys, because he responds to the Spirit, Simeon's going to get everything that God promised him. Do you understand that? The Scripture says because the Spirit revealed and because Simeon went, when Mary and Joseph and the baby got there, Simeon was there. Can you imagine living your whole life and then on that day not being there? Because honestly, that's probably the way... That's probably the way you and I would live. Like, I might live my whole life, but on that Sunday when, when the spirits would go to the temple, you know, that would be the day that, you know, my kids would have a cough, or, you know, or a snotty nose, and that would be the day we'd all stay home from church, you know, and not go. Or that would be the day, you know, when I look out and it's cold and it's rainy, and I just decide, you know, I can just listen to the sermon on the podcast today, you know, and not go. I mean, Simeon didn't have to go, but he goes. He goes, and because he goes, he receives the fulfillment of everything he's lived for. His whole life is crowned on this day in the temple because he goes. What would it take for the Holy Spirit to move you like that? Out of your routine, out of your normal comfort zone, what would it take to get you to go and do like that? Because this is how Simeon was. This is how the normal spiritual life looks. 
I mean, some of us, man, we are so in our routine, we don't get out of our routine for anything. The Spirit can't move us. I mean, it's Christmas, and like tomorrow, one of your precious grandchildren will be in your chair, but that's still your chair, so you're like, hey, you know, sitting in your chair, I mean, that's your thing, that's your routine. You don't budge, you don't move. Get out of your routine. Wake up in the morning, and, and the coffee, man, there's no coffee, no little coffee cups. You just lose your mind. I mean, you got to have everything the way you want it. You think you can predict. You got your planner out. You got your days planned. And, and is there room for the Spirit just to speak, to move you around? Because if you don't move around with the Spirit, understand there are things you will never see, things you will never experience. There are hopes you'll never have fulfilled. Simeon is there because the Spirit takes him there and he obeys and so he's there. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms to praise God and said, Now, Lord, let your servant die in peace. There's a lot amazing in those words. First off, how did he recognize him? This is just a normal day at the, the temple. I know that for us it's in Luke chapter 2, so this is the Christmas story. So we picture this like a Christmas card. And on the Christmas card, you can always find Mary and Joseph. How do you identify Mary and Joseph on the Christmas card? Halos. Giant, like a pizza pan. You know, halos behind their head. You're not going to miss Mary and Joseph. They glow. In every Christmas card, and they hold this baby, and he glows. It's this blinding, you know, baby. And sometimes, like in the paintings, baby Jesus would be standing up in the manger, like blessing him like a little pope. You know? I mean, you're not going to miss Jesus. I mean, he's standing up, you know, preaching a sermon. I mean, the Christmas cards, it's obvious, but life is not a Christmas card. How did Simeon spot them? How did he know them? They're not glowing. They're not wearing name tags. There's no angels and shepherds still following them around. This is an ordinary couple, more poor than most. They're humble. They're ordinary, plain as cornbread. They come in with their baby, and all babies look alike, and baby Jesus look like every other baby. All babies look alike. I know you think that your baby was the most beautiful baby ever, but I was probably there when she was born, and she wasn't. All babies look the same. That's why we put stickers on their backs in the nursery. I mean, if we shuffled them up, you couldn't pick your baby at all. I mean, we put stickers. All babies look the same. And baby Jesus looked like every other baby. He's not glowing. He's not, you know, giving a papal blessing. It's a baby. But when they walk in, in this crushing temple crowd, Simeon can recognize them. How does he know them? How does he know this baby? He knows this baby because he's been looking for this baby his entire life. When you know what it is that you're looking for, you're much more likely to know it when you see it. And they walk. Simeon rushes over and takes the baby right out of her arms. To understand, remember when your baby was new and you took him out in public for the first time? Remember how nervous you are? I mean, you're so afraid that somebody with a cold is going to sneeze towards your baby, you know, or that somebody who had a stomach virus, you know, when Jimmy Carter was president, it might still be contagious you know, and touch your baby, you know. I mean, it's just, it's fragile, this baby. It's your first baby. You just carry it, and you're so afraid. You know, sometimes, you know, people carry a baby, and one of those carriers so covered up in blankets, I don't even know if there's a baby in there. 
But that's how we are. You, you care for this baby, and all of a sudden, this strange man, they don't know Simeon from anybody, but Simeon comes up, takes the baby right out of the mother's arms, and just starts talking. And what does he say? What are the first words out of his mouth? Understand, when you grab a person's baby, you probably ought to say, nice baby. You know, wow, he's a chunk. I mean, or, you know, looks just like his mama. I mean, you should say something like that, but Simeon's not like other people. He takes this baby in his arms and says, Lord, just take me now. You can take me now. I can die a happy man now. Understand, he's lived his whole life and maybe experienced a lot of wonderful things. But this is the moment he says, this is all I've lived for. My life is complete now. Just let me die now. If I die now, I'll be the happiest man in the world. Let your servant die in peace. I've seen your salvation. He's looking at the baby. He says, Lord, let me die now. I see your salvation. It's come for all people. Held this baby in my arms. Understand, it's all he's ever lived for. It's all he's ever wanted. And now he sees. Now he knows. Now he praises God. But, but notice what else he says. Like I say, there are things you, you typically say to new parents and mostly it's just, you know, the, you know, the kind of, you know, wow, you know, what a beautiful baby kind of stuff. Simeon doesn't, he missed all of those lessons, you know, in charm school because he doesn't say stuff we would say. He says stuff that would probably, I mean, Mary and Joseph must, you know, how do they even understand what he's saying? Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. What's he saying? This baby's going to be trouble. He's going to be a joy to many others. He's good. He's been sent as a sign from God. But people are going to hate him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. There's going to be a sword that pierces your heart. He takes this baby, puts it back in his mother's arms and says, this baby is going to break your heart. You and me, we would have said, nice baby. (laughs) He's a pretty baby, but no. That's not how Simeon is. Simeon sees. He knows. It's salvation. It's from God. He's going to break your heart. And then up walks Anna. <laughs> y'all, Anna, she's different. She's different, y'all. She's, call her crazy Anna, y'all. She's crazy. Anna's crazy. Now, Simeon just got all dark and gloomy. This is like my dad. Yo, my dad is like this. You know, Simeon, when you should be saying, nice baby, wow, what a beautiful baby. He's like, oh, this baby going to break your heart. You know, that's like my dad. You know, my dad always gets gloomy really fast. <laughs> you know, so Simeon's all dark and gloomy. You know, people are going to hate your baby. You're just going to break your heart. You know, But in walks Anna. Y'all, Anna's crazy. Just crazy. And I mean that in the most beautiful way. Notice what it says about her. Verse 36. Anna, uh, say it, prophet. Okay, some of you are like, what? A woman prophet? Yeah, yeah. And that's the, that's the hilarious part of this. A woman prophet? I know some of you, your brain, you know, mind's just blown. It's a woman prophet. It's in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. It's in the Bible. But this woman's awesome and crazy, y'all. She, first off, we don't even know how old she is. 
Nobody knows. People know that her husband, they've been married about seven years. Back in those days, she probably got married at about 13. But for that matter, so did my grandma. So 13, got married. And then she was widowed in seven years. So she's probably 19, 20 years old when she gets widowed. And she never remarries. So understand, a widow in those days, it's a devastating kind of situation because she doesn't have anybody. She doesn't have father, doesn't have brothers. She doesn't have a husband anymore and no children. So she's alone in the world. And in those days, a widow can't just go get a job at Taco Bell. You understand? She has nothing. So for all of these years, people talk and people have sort of decided, she's just living at the temple, y'all. And she was. She's in the temple day and night. She's living in the temple. Now, you can't do that. That's against all the rules. That's why they put, you know, security cameras to keep people from living in the temple. We got security cameras here. We had a guy lived in the temple here for three days. I finally caught him on the camera. So you can't live at the temple. You can't live here. You know, but Anna was living there. She's living there, y'all. She's living there. Nobody's sure about that because she's kind of crazy, Anna, you know. But then some of the ladies said one day they, they saw her washing out her pantyhose in the sink in the ladies' room, and now they're pretty sure she's living here, y'all. She just lives here. Where does she sleep? What does she eat? Nobody knows. She's crazy, Anna. It's like 100 years old. Do y'all remember back in the day, and again, I'm 52. I've been in Bowling Green most of my life. There was a lady that people used to call Crazy Mary that would walk the street there at Lost River. Do y'all remember her? God bless her soul. I know that she's with the Lord now. But in those days, people called her Crazy Mary. Why? Because she seemed crazy. She just walked the, the, the road there beside the road of Lost River, up and down, up and down. And y'all, she was always really dressed up. And she's a tiny little thing. And she wore a big blonde wig like Dolly Parton. Like this big wig. And she wore all of this makeup. So from a distance, you would think this was a young lady walking the side of the road. And then they get up close. And it's like, ooh. I mean, she was like a hundred years old. All of this makeup and hair. And she carried this giant, giant Bible. Like the size of this TV screen. This big family Bible, y'all. True story. Anybody remember her? Yes. Yeah, so y'all know I'm not making this stuff up. She carried this giant Bible, and sometimes she'd be walking, reading, and then people blow their horn at Mary, and she'd wave her hand like this, and have that Bible, and she'd walk like this. Yeah, seriously. And then sometimes she'd just hold the Bible like this and wave at everybody, and they called her Crazy Mary, because she seemed crazy. Anna's like that. Anna's just like that. Nobody really understands where she lives or why she does what she does. But there seems to be one thing on her mind, and it's just being at the temple worshiping. She's just that lady. And while Simeon is doing his whole, this baby's going to break your heart. I mean, Simeon's all dark and gloomy. Anna walks up, and Anna just gets happy. She's that old lady at church that just gets happy. She just starts shouting. She's running around the temple. I mean, read this, y'all. I don't make this stuff up. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. First 38, we're glad she came along, actually. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Up walks Anna, y'all, and she just starts running through the temple, gums a-flapping, just trying to praise God and tell everybody, Jesus is here. He's in the temple here. He's here. Everyone who's been looking for him, everybody praying for the Messiah. Anna is saying, he's here. He's here. How does she know? How does she recognize with her cataracts, with, with her blind eyes? I mean, how in the world does she know? She knows. 
She knows because she's been waiting for this baby her whole life. She gave up everything just to live at the temple and worship the Lord. So when the Lord shows up in Mary and Joseph's arms, she knows him. She's been praising him for her all of her years. You understand? When you know what it is that you're looking for, when you know what it is that you want, you're much more likely to recognize it when you see it. So what is it that you want? I used to have a buddy who lived at Fern Terrace. His name was Ernest. He was an old bluegrass guitar player. I loved Ernest. We would, I'd go and I'd preach and we'd have worship there and Ernest would play. It was like the Grand Ole Opry man. He was, he was awesome. But alone, really didn't have any family at all. He had a niece that lived in Dawson Springs. So one day, close to Christmas, I was there hanging out with Ernest, and uh, the nurse walked by for Terrace, and she pitched a Christmas card in, in Ernest's lap, card fell on his lap. He picked it up real fast, and he looked at it. He said, would you, would you take me back to my room and read this with me? I said, sure, sure, Ernest. And so I pushed his wheelchair back to his room and picked up the card, and I could see the return address. It was Barbara in Dawson Springs. This is his niece. I said, you know, Ernest looks like a Christmas card. You got a Christmas card? He said, yeah, I know. He said, I'm hoping there's $5 in it. I said, okay. So I uh, opened it up, opened up the card. It was a pretty card. And I, I just read it to Ernest. I said, you know, dear Ernest, um, hope you're doing well. Merry Christmas. Um, Mama sends her love. I- I'm, sending, I'm giving you $15. Uh, regret that we won't be able to visit you this Christmas, but we still hope it's a Merry Christmas. Love, Barb. Ernest was really quiet. So I said, Ernest, you got $15. <laughs> you were only hoping for five. You got $15. He said, yeah. Ain't that something? And he took the money and rolled over and put it in his drawer of his dresser. It's the saddest I'd ever seen, Ernest. What was wrong with Ernest? He wanted $5. He got $15, you all. But suddenly with $15 in his hand, he realized that that money's not really what he wanted at all. And what he really wanted wasn't in that envelope. What is it that you want? If you don't understand what it is that you want, if you can't name it, then it's likely that you won't know it when you get it. Or even if it's right in front of your eyes, what is it that you want? Maybe when you were younger, it was easier to name some things, but now you've understood that the things you can name like that, the things on Santa's list, those aren't the things that are going to satisfy your soul. But what is it? For some of us, it's just love. I mean, love, it's the word on every Christmas card. But it's something a lot of us feel like we don't live with, at least not much. Some of us, it's the first Christmas after you've lost your spouse or after the divorce. Or maybe it's the 10th, 20th, 
30th Christmas after the divorce, after the death. It doesn't matter. Christmas has a way of making it fresh again. It's lonesome. What is it that you most need? Maybe it's just peace. I mean, on every Christmas card it says peace, but peace on earth. I mean, you just want peace in your skin, you know, in your own heart. I mean, peace so that when you're in the house by yourself, you don't have to, you know, play the TV, just have noise so that you don't have to listen to your brain because your brain won't just stop thinking all the time. You lay down at night, you just want to sleep, but you can't turn your thoughts off. You just want peace. Forgiveness. So much just want forgiveness. If if the people in our lives would just forgive and forget what we've done, but they don't. They never do. They just continue to remember and bring it up. Or maybe you're the one that can't forgive. Maybe at Christmas is the one time of the year you remember that you got a brother out there that you haven't talked to in years because you're mad over something so silly. How can you stay mad your entire life? What is worth that? What has it done for you? You need forgiveness. You need to receive it. You need to give it. You just need forgiveness. But that's a very difficult gift to come by. It's hard. Some of us, it's just physical. It's sickness. It's pain. It's the fear that we may not live to see another Christmas. It's the fear that we may have to live with this pain on into next Christmas. It's just that fear that comes with not knowing. And our bodies are so very unpredictable. What is it that you want this Christmas? Simeon lived his entire life knowing that there's only one thing that would make his life worth living. There's only one thing to want, one thing to look for, and that was Christ. He wanted Christ. It's the only thing that he wanted. So much so that when the day came and the Spirit said, He's here, Simeon dropped everything, ran to the temple, grabbed that baby in his arms and said, Lord, you can take me now. I can die a happy man now. Is there anything in this world that would make you that happy? That would satisfy you in that way? Would you not just consider that maybe this is more than just the Christmas story? Maybe this is something of the story of your own life? And, and, and maybe, just maybe, the very same thing that satisfied Simeon and thrilled the heart of old Anna, maybe that same baby could make a difference in your life. Maybe. The only thing in the world that could make this Christmas something more than just lonesome for you would be the knowledge that you are loved with an everlasting love from the Jesus who died for you. Maybe Jesus would make a difference for you in your grief. Maybe it's just simply knowing that the God who keeps all of his promises will keep the promise to you to keep your loved one with him until the day when you can be reunited with him. That's hope. That's real hope. It comes from Jesus. Maybe that peace that you crave, that ability just to be at peace with yourself, with those around you, with your ex-wife, with your kids. Maybe just that peace that you crave. Maybe you'll finally understand that the only one who can give that to you is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is his name. And it's not too late. It's Christmas Eve, but it's not too late. This Christmas could make the difference for you. The, The peace... The hope, the faith, the love, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, everything that you need, 
Everything that you want is found in Him. He is everything that you are looking for. So, what is it that you want? This Christmas, what is it that you want? Pray with me. Lord, some of us just don't know. We don't know what we want. We don't know why our hearts are so sad and lonesome and empty. We don't know why everything in this world just leaves us so bored. We don't know why the new wears off everything so quickly. We don't know why we can't manage to hold a marriage together or any other relationship. We don't know. We don't know why we can't get along with people. We don't know why we can't forgive. We don't know. We don't know. So Lord, open our eyes. Show us that the answer to all of our questions, show us that the need that we continue to reach out for that never gets satisfied, Lord, teach us that everything is found, everything is satisfied, everything that we want is in you. Oh, Lord Jesus, will you not be born in our hearts this day? Will you not fill our hearts, reign in our hearts, fill that empty, lonesome, hungry place in us that we might step into this year and live a different kind of life? Lord, today as we think about what it is that we want most, help us to understand that you are all we need. In finding you, there's nothing left to want. So help us, Lord Jesus, today, before it's too late, to find it all in you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.